Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the water cooler, the most statistically average sports podcast in the world. My name is Ryan Saba. I am the most electrifying voice in sports information, and with me today is... It's me, it's me, it's Lukey C. Oh my (laughs) god. We're going to work on that, folks. Alright, well, what are we talking about now? What are we talking about today? I'm glad you asked. So today is going to be part one Mm. of a four-part series that we are going to do about the Cleveland Browns and the timeline of terror. We're going to look at the Cleveland Browns in five-year segments. You know, I think everybody knows that the Browns are starting to gain notoriety. They had a great year last year. They finally have a franchise quarterback, and they're really starting to um, you know turn turn the page a little bit on on who they've been and who they've been known for, which is sort of a laughing stock of the league over the last 20 years. And we're in the 21st. This this season coming up is going to be the 21st season of the new iteration of the Browns. So what we're going to do is take a look at the Browns timeline of terror in five-year segments. And this is segment one. This is episode one. And we're going to look at 1999 through 2003. So as everybody knows, or maybe some of you that don't, for our younger fans, the Cleveland Browns were inactive for the 1996, 97, and 98 seasons. Uh, they were moved to Baltimore by the previous owner, Art Modell. Uh, it was a very sad day uh, for, the, for the city of Cleveland, for the fan base. Um, you know, probably another episode. I won't get too much into it, but you know, the fans, the city of Cleveland had an opportunity to keep the Browns. They didn't, you know, they didn't pass the bill on the syntax, a one or two cent tax on cigarettes and alcohol that were uh, would uh, improve the old Cleveland Browns Stadium down on the lakefront, but not the new one, uh, Cleveland Municipal Stadium, it was called, and. Uh, you know, it was just a sad day. I don't think anybody thought the Browns were ever going to leave. But, you know, shortly after they moved and went to Baltimore, they sort of announced the Browns were coming back. So they were only gone for three seasons. So from 1999 to 2003, their record <laughs> was 26-54. and 54. It's the 26 that counts. The sad part about that 26 and 54 is, and I'm just shooting from the hip here because I haven't done an evaluation. I think that's probably the best, <laughs> the best five-year stretch we're going to have in this four-part series. Their coaches during that period were Chris Palmer and Butch Davis, and their best season was 2002. They went nine and seven, and they made their only playoff appearance that they've had since they've come back to the NFL in 1999. So, let's get into some specifics about the Browns, 1999-2003. Who was your favorite player during this period? Um, I was very young, very impressionable. You're still very (laughs) young and very impressionable. (laughs) We have the number one overall pick, brand new franchise, Tim Couch. 
I would agree with that. Passed on Donovan McNabb to take Tim Couch, number one overall. And Dale Keeley Smith and Dante Culpepper. It was a four-horse race, I yep. remember. I mean, I was in high school, so this for me is, is sort of what you were probably in elementary school going into middle school. Yeah. Yeah, I was getting I was actually in eighth grade getting ready to go into high okay. school. Okay. So you're not as you're not a, a big of a whippersnapper as I thought mm. you were. For me, you know, I think I think Tim Couch is the easy answer. I think Tim Couch got a raw deal. Um, you know, he he got put in a situation where he just got his brains bashed in. But for me, my favorite player week in and week week out was Quincy Morgan. Uh, Quincy Morgan Quincy was was a, was, a, was a second round wide receiver that they took from uh, Kansas State. I love Quincy Morgan. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, you know he made a lot of huge plays, and I have a feeling that Quincy Morgan is going to make an appearance in, in a later segment of this show. So, you know, we talked about the favorite player during the period. Let's talk about some of the draft picks from 1999 to 2003. Who do you think? was the best draft pick during that period. Now, I did say that it was my favorite player, but I'm sticking I'm sticking to it. I think Tim Couch was the best pick in that considering. And that's not that's not saying that Tim Couch was a great pick. It's just the rest were that embarrassing. Yeah, there's a lot of embarrassing stuff. Anything else you want to say about him? You just want to leave it at that. I mean, I don't know how what, what there is to say about him. I mean, he was like a career 55% passer. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it was the same draft. It was the guy we took in the second round. It was Kevin Johnson, the wide receiver out of Syracuse. We took him at, at number 32. Um, you know, he was a very re- – I remember Kevin Johnson as being very, very reliable. Um, he played 73 games for us. He had 23 touchdowns. And he had 315 receptions in five years. I mean, to me, just a reliable guy, was always able to produce – and uh, he was the guy that caught that Hail Mary from Tim Couch for the first win that we ever got as That's we right. came back That's against right. New Orleans. So I'll always remember him for that. Eight touchdowns that year. His, his rookie year? Yeah. Yeah, he had a great year. He had 137 targets most of his career, but he had 100 targets all four years, they except for his second year in 98. He wasn't throwing to anybody else. Interesting fact here in 2000, the second year, 98 targets. Zero touchdowns. So the second year is when Quincy Morgan came in. It's when Dennis Northcutt came in, I think. Mm -hmm. So they started to get more targets. Aaron Shea maybe came in that second year. There's the, the there was just more opportunity for other guys. We scored 158 points that year. In in, in the entirety of the season, we went two and fourteen. <laughs> So the worst draft pick in that period, there's there's two to choose from. In my, yeah. I mean, there, look, there's a lot to choose from. but I think there's, there's two slam two. dunks. There's two slam dunks. There's I don't know which question. one you picked, but I, I went with Courtney Brown. I went with, you got big money Gerard Warren, and you got Courtney Brown, the quiet storm. And I don't think it, I, listen, it's it's got to be Courtney Brown. I mean, I edged him out over uh, Gerard Warren because Courtney Brown was the number one overall yes, he pick. Would. He had 19 sacks. Uh, the number of career or the number that's one in his career, yes, bro. Career nineteen sacks. So let me give you. So he was the number one draft pick in the year two thousand. He played twenty six games from the for the Browns. He had eight sacks. <laughs> in the entire in in his entirety as a, a Cleveland Brown, you know, to me. 
Uh, he was a guy who his rookie year was his best season. Um, he was he was hampered by injuries. He went somewhere else. I can't even remember Denver. Denver. Yeah, Denver, he went yeah. to Denver. I mean, look, you know, we could probably do the game where we go down the list. I remember at that time it was it was a race between two players. We were looking at Courtney Brown and Lavar Arrington, both Penn State guys. Um, you know, obviously Lavar Arrington had a much better career. Um, you know, I don't know if. We, if we were sitting here today, you know, if LeVar Arrington would probably be on this list as well. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bash, um, you know, LeVar Arrington or 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 overly bash Courtney Brown. I mean, look, it was a bad organization, but but Courtney Brown didn't want to play football, and I think that was evident. His his, you know, he played when he he didn't play when he could have, and he didn't produce. Um, he didn't produce. When he when he was on the field, so definitely, yeah. So that's the draft picks. Let's talk about free agents. Let's go with who do you think was the Browns' best free agent signing from '99 to '03? So in this period, we had exactly one Pro Bowler. Yep, and that was Jameer Miller. That's right. So Jameer Miller was 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 I think unquestionably. I mean, I guess I guess you could throw in uh, maybe. Kelly Holcomb. Yeah, maybe. but yeah, but but listen, Kelly Holcomb only had an opportunity to shine because Tim Couch was getting his fucking brains <laughs> bashed in every week. So yeah, uh, Jameer Miller has a career year in two thousand one. Um, Thirteen sacks. Um, he was named to the Pro Bowl. Like I said, the only Pro Bowler that we had in this time frame, and it was just man, this is this is this was such a tough exercise. Yeah, to look back this on one this. was tough. Because we didn't have a lot of free agent signings during this period either. I mean, team players weren't wanting to come here. Jameer Miller was my guy too. We got him at 25 years old. We signed him for a four-year, 18.3 million dollar contract. Obviously, it's all relative, but I think you know, even for that time, it was a it was a good it was a good contract for a player that young who had been productive with his previous team, uh, Arizona. 99 was his best year with us. He had 116 tackles. He had four and a half sacks. He only played in Cleveland for three and a half years because, or for three years, he had uh, what did he do? He tore his Achilles. Yeah. In a, in a kind of in preseason, right? It, yeah. It in did like end the his first career. preseason game to end his career. But in his three years with us, he had 300 tackles. He had 40 tackles for loss, and he had 22 and a half sacks. So he had a really productive three years uh, with the Browns. Yeah, not not much more to add there. Who's the worst? I mean, again, like you said, there just there weren't many. There was a lot of bad signings, ones. but there weren't there were just weren't many, and I guess. For me, it would it was it would have to be Ross Ross Verba if anyone even knows who Jesus. I'm talking. Oh, I know who Ross Verba is. Um, but no, we signed. Uh, I'm trying to find. He was a guard, team. right? Yes. Um, but I think we played him. I think it was one of those situations where we were playing him. Like every week, he was coming out playing a different position on the line. Yeah, I think he played. He played a lot. Just just was not good. <laughs> For me, it's Corey Fuller. Um, uh. I, there, I listen. 
in 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 my high school years, there was not a player that I hated more than Corey Fuller. Uh, I liken him to sort of Antonio Langham before the Browns left the first time. Just pass interference out the ass. <laughs> Every time they would throw the ball down the field to Corey Fuller, you know, you know the flag was coming out. <laughs> we signed him as tw- at a twenty at twenty nine years old. We gave him five years, twenty one million. Um, and the thing is, his stats weren't that bad. He actually, um, you know, he had seven interceptions in sixty games with us. But the reason why he was so productive was because quarterbacks were throwing at him twenty <laughs> times a game. So, you know, he was just, he was a bum, and there's really, there's really nothing else I can say about that. Um, so now that we got kind of through the draft picks and the free agents, let's just talk about the memories. Good or bad, what was your most notable memory of the Browns during this five-year span? I mean, there's a few that we can, that we can touch on, um, but obviously the most notorious is Bottlegate. 2001. This this happened to be, out of everything that I looked at, 2001 was the most uh, eventful season. Was in that this the period. Dwayne Rudd helmet throw week one too? I am not positive. It might that have was, been, if that it was have it. been, but that was against Kansas City. That that's probably the other one that I would point to during this. Period. But but that year, just just real quick, it was Butch Davis's first year. They go seven and nine. It's uh, after starting their two their first two years back were two and 14, 3 and thirteen. So they go seven and nine with Butch Davis in his first year. Chuck Pagano was a secondary coach. Yeah. Todd Bowles was a secondary coach. Um, we drafted, uh, like, as you mentioned already, Gerard Warren and Quincy Morgan. Um, Bottlegate happened, uh, and then we had we did have our first Pro Bowler. And probably the most shocking thing was Tim Couch started every single game. So at that point, the infamous QB jersey had four names on it. Did not add a name that year. That might, be the only, on that might be the only year that's happened. 2003. So 2001 and 2003 were the Who only Who was the years. quarterback in all three? Holcomb? No, it was Couch. Still? Yeah. My memory just doesn't serve <laughs> me as, as well as it should. For me, you know, you touched on it was Bottlegate, Jacksonville. It was late fourth quarter drive. For those of you, for our younger fans out there that, that don't remember, um, you know, this <laughs> they had to stop the game. This is the oh, only time I could remember an NFL game actually not ending. Uh, the Browns were on a late fourth quarter drive. Uh, Quincy Morgan caught a pass from Tim Couch on fourth and one. He didn't catch the football. It really wasn't even close. But um, Tell that to the dog pound. Yeah. But uh, they called it a catch. Couch, like any quarterback, even still does today. And and one thing you have to remember is this, is, this was early when they brought – uh, instant replay back because they had instant replay in like the 80s and 90s and and then it went away for a few years they because they they didn't feel like they felt like it was slowing down games and the whole nine yards and then they brought it back so just like so the, I think the referees and everybody were, were just kind of getting used to how it worked again and couch got the team up to the line just like he any quarterback does today snapped the ball and he spiked it but the officials went back, they reviewed the play, and they ruled it an a, a incomplete pass, which it was. What ensued? But uh, what ensued was mayhem. 
Um, go Google Bottlegate. The fans showered the field with bottles. They were throwing them actually at the referees. This is the reason why you are served plastic That's bottles correct. in NFL stadiums. All sporting stadiums across the country. Uh, thank you, thank you, Cleveland, for the that. The Browns are also why you can't bring batteries into the stadium anymore, <laughs> by the way, because they would th- they would back in the eighties they would pack them in snowballs and throw them at the Houston Oilers and Cincinnati Bengals. But so you know, Google it, you'll see it. The, the officials they they're they're running into the tunnel. There's still like a minute left on the clock. Fans are just <laughs> chucking bottles at them. It was you know, look, it's we can laugh about it now. It was certainly a bad look. The organization. Got a bad name for it. The fans. It was scary for a minute there. It was, it was, I mean, I they mean, didn't even finish that last I wasn't, game. I wasn't scared, but <laughs> I was more upset at the time. But looking back on it, uh, it's tough. So, most memorable moments. Let's talk about um, sort of the last topic here. You know, Who do you think is the person during this period that is most responsible for the overall performance of the Browns and, you know, the team that that, that we were during 99 to, to 03. I mean, I'm going to put it on the owner, uh, Lerner, the Lerner family. It just, you know, never were really truly invested in it. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure how much you follow the Lerner family still, but uh, they, they buy sports teams to make money, sim- mm-hmm. plain and simple. Um, you know, in, in later years before he sold the team to Haslam, um, he was really invested in his soccer team uh, in uh, Aston Villa in England, yeah. And they were they were relegated. He sold the team, and they've recently been um, promoted back up into the Premier League up over there. But um, I, I mean, I, dysfunction this bad is never just one person's fault. Yeah. But I mean, you got to put it at the top there, and it, I just. I just put it on Lerner. I would go the next level down. Uh, look, I think it's easy to say Lerner. I think it's I think it's really easy to say Art Modell. Uh, but for me, it, it's definitely Carmen Policy. Um, you know, Carmen Policy came in. He had you know he was he built the, he was part of the the infrastructure that built the San Francisco dynasty with with Bill Walsh and those guys. And he came in and you know he brought in. A combo of Chris Palmer and Dwight Clark that was inept to 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 build a new franchise. Furthermore, I don't think Dwight Clark's ever had another GM position. He straight up quit when uh, when they hired Butch because Butch wanted uh, quit, well because that was part of the deal. Yeah, they were going to demote him, right? He, yeah, so he quit, and then yeah. he he publicly said that taking the job in the first place was a mistake. And Chris Palmer's never had another coaching job. I don't think he's ever had another OC job. He's been a quarterback coach. Um, You know, there's a great book that you can read by Terry Pluto. For all the fans of Cleveland, Terry Pluto has written for the Plain Dealer for years. It's called False Start. I own it. It's only about 100 pages. You can read it in about two or three days. Well, some of our fans can read it in two (laughs) or three days. But, uh, you know, they rushed the franchise. There was poor drafting. And, And ultimately, you know, Al Lerner put the fate of the franchise into Carmen Policy's hands. He said, you know, look, just like Luke alluded to, uh, you know, we don't... And, and Randy Lerner was the same way once he took the team over. I don't he, even think he, he lived here full he, time. He didn't. And he did the same thing with Holmgren, and Holmgren, I'm sure yeah. we'll get into that. But they put the fate of the franchise into the top of the organization, the president or, or, or you know, whatever. And they did that with Carmen Policy. And, and Carmen Policy, if you read this book, False Start... 
They could have delayed the Browns coming back until 2000, and they didn't. And it was a Carmen policy decision. Al Lerner put it in policy's hands, and 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 the book outlines really the reason why the Browns the Browns it, they it's called false start because they rushed them back too soon. Um, and, and it just, I put it all in Carmen Policy's hands. Shout out Terry Pluto. Shout out Terry Pluto. Any, any last memories you want to touch on? Um, I don't think so. I think, uh, I'll cap it up by saying, um, there are five names on the Jersey through 2003. Five names on the Jersey through 2003. That number starts to accelerate as, as we move forward. With that, be on the lookout for, for episode two of our Browns timeline of terror which will cover what 04 through 08 and that'll be coming soon thank you very much listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube